Hey, this is Axel Coe, and I'm Ben's guest on Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. We are back to our regularly scheduled programming with this week's guest, Axel Coe. I first found him on Instagram thanks to a shout out by our good buddies at Nelson Drum Shop, and I was hooked right away. I say this at the top of the interview, but in case you're about to click on another podcast, I have to say Axel is the epitome of a modern drummer. You want a drum sound? He can get it for you. Just go to his Instagram and you can find out what I mean. He knows how to manipulate his home recording studio to get basically any vibe. We also start off the chat listening to four songs he's recorded over the last few years and they all sound like completely different drummers. Can't say enough about how big of a fan I am of Axel's playing. Also, he's a great hang and with us both originally being Northwest boys, this chat was just fun for me. So if you're looking to start or further your career as a session player, Axel's insight comes from a very boots on the ground approach, so it ain't no fluff. I hope you enjoy the five records that shaped him into the player he is today. Cheers. the epitome of a modern drummer i really am obsessed with your sounds dude and i'm excited to Thanks. find out more about it but um i don't really know about a lot about your backstory so are you from nashville originally um i've moved around a lot as a kid because my dad was in the marines so mm. i was born in north carolina but kind of moved around the south and then california but I, I i grew up outside of portland oregon in a town called camas washington i know exactly where camas is yeah i'm from seattle so yeah oh sweet nice yeah so i spent like ages eight to eighteen in the Northwest, so that's kind of where I identify. Like, like that, that; those are the formative years and kind of where I learned to play music and stuff. Uh, no, none of my family lives there anymore, but that's that's kind of like where like home is to me. But yeah, I moved uh, moved to Nashville about four years ago, and th- I guess four years ago is when like I became an official adult and moved to a city on purpose, not for college or family reasons, to like actually do music as a full-time profession. So I feel like as an adult, I'm, I'm from Nashville, but as, as like a whole person, I guess kind of Northwest, kind of Colorado. It's, it's all over the place, to be honest. Okay. What were you doing before you decided to be a professional musician? I guess, yeah, I, I just a kid growing up. Uh, um, I, I got into music pretty, pretty early. I guess middle school was kind of when I started playing, it was, there was kind of a choice between being in choir or being in band. So I was like, well, I, I think band sounds fun. I saw snare drum as like the easiest thing. Not that I was lazy or anything, but I just didn't really <laughs> see myself doing music. So and I, I was too shy to sing or anything. So I, I looked at the snare and I was like, well, you're just holding two sticks and you're only hitting one surface. There's no notes. So yeah. and all the drumline guys seemed really cool. So I kind of gravitated towards that. And then now it's, now it's my job. <laughs> Well, I mean, so from your videos, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at your background right now. So that is your studio is like a basement in your house or what's what's the vibe? Yep. It's just yeah, this is just my house. Uh, just like kind of close to Berry Hill in Nashville for some people will know where that is. But yeah, um, I, I for the most part, I record just in basements. It, since I've been in Nashville, I lived in one other house and then this house is actually mine. So yeah, it's just just an unfinished basement. I, can, I don't know if you're going to use the video or not, but just just unfinished basement with a lot of acoustic treatment. And that's kind of where I, I send remotes and track a lot of the videos that I post and stuff. So yeah, I've, I've always had like a good time. I feel like in Portland too, like I would always go to people's houses and they would have these crazy home studios that were just completely decked out basements. So I've always been pretty comfortable in like a non- official studio environment. It's like always been kind of fun to me to learn different rooms and figure out how to make them sound good. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning, your sounds are amazing, so you don't need a, you know, state-of-the-art, quote-unquote, 
Um, what, what's the percentage of stuff you get that you remotely record in your studio versus, for lack of a better term, professional studio? Totally. Um, I'd say right around now it's about 50-50. Um, mm. Before, I really would only ever record remotes for friends if someone needed drums and was living somewhere else. And it was just kind of a novelty of, oh, well, you know, I have mics set up on my kit. Like, I'll send some, some you know, some stems and you can see what you can do with it. And then obviously the pandemic hit. And I was lucky to have already been recording drums in self-engineering and all that. So it wasn't a huge learning curve because obviously once the pandemic hit, everybody started having to record remotely. So I felt like I had like a good leg up on, on that. But I would say in the past two years, like it's become like a steady income for me, which is weird because I, I really do feel like most of the, rem the remotes that I record aren't super straight ahead drums. They're always like, there's always like kind of like a, a, I feel like people call me for stuff that's a little bit off kilter, maybe like maybe a little dry or dead. So, but yeah, I'd say about 50%, at least of recorded stuff. I mean, obviously I, I'm a live drummer as well and I, I tour a little bit, but yeah, I'd say 50, 50 here and then other studios. Well, let's, uh, speaking of your recording, and I mean, <laughs> off-kilter, the, the, the choices you sent me, they were so different, so it was so I sent, rad. Yeah, I sent you, I sent you some funny, I, there was, yeah, I, I could have sent more, but I figured this was a, that was a good amount. I'm, I'm honestly curious to see what you play, because it's all, it's all crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first one uh, is, is by Kay Flay, and my good friend Mike Robinson's been playing with her the last yeah, few right, months. Yeah, right, right, yeah, Mike's awesome. You love Mike. But yeah, so this is the song, I'm Afraid of the Internet, by Kay Flay, so let's just play a little bit of that and then maybe you can just talk about the session the vibe all that jazz but here is k-flay yeah so this is uh this track was recorded right here like you can't see but my drums are right next to me so Dude, they sound yeah, so good it was, yeah, I mean, I did, so I engineered it, but uh, my friend Tommy English, he was the producer, so he's out in LA, and he like made my drum sound huge. Um, that was that was kind of the biggest reference with this track was trying to get the biggest sounding drums, and I feel like in an untreated studio space, a lot of times there's like a lot like you want to minimize reflections and allow people to get the room sounding bigger later but on this one he was like i want the biggest drums possible so it was this was a really fun one god is hard to be innocent when the world keeps showing you it's thick and disaster is if you heard the drums, I have a, I have a video of like me playing that that drum set, and it was a crazy it, it's a crazy sounding kit. But Tommy kept saying crazier, like more room. So I ended up like putting a microphone in like the next room over the garage. I had like a microphone in there. I had like I was running like a, I guess like a high Z microphone, which is a just like a dynamic with a quarter inch. I was running okay. that into a tape machine and just cranking the input stage to just get like the craziest distortion. He was like, more, more of that, you know? So, so like the, it's, it was weird. It was like the drums themselves, like in, in this corner are, are decently dry just because I like giving people more of an option to treat the room how they want. But this was really fun because Tommy really was pushing me to like try to get the biggest room sound out of obviously like low ceilings and very dead space. So it, it was cool to see how it turned out because I was a little worried. I was like, man, I was like, if this isn't working, like, I was like, you live in L.A. and you have all these, like, dudes that can have giant studios, like, but he, like, he was like, no, man, this sounds awesome. Just, like, tune the snare higher. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anyone says tune the snare higher, I'm on board, dude. I mean, I know I work for a big, fat snare drum, but it's because you can do that and then you put a big, fat snare drum on it. But, you know, let's go on to number two. And this one's really okay. cool. Also a very drastic change. Uh, it's Broken right. Wings. <laughs> By, oh, okay, is it cool. caned by Nod? I think it's caned by Nod, yeah. Caned by Nod? Okay, this yeah. one's really fun. So. Yeah, this is, this is wild. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Yeah, very Dillinger escape plan right there. Totally. Yeah, 
Yeah, this this record was pretty crazy to make. It's actually uh, the artist is actually his name's Cody Jinx. He's like a okay. Texas-based country artist, but um, he wanted to do a metal record while he was making his country record, so he flew in a Nashville band to make this stuff. It was crazy. Uh, I grew up listening to metal and stuff, but I obviously haven't played metal in any sort of com- commercial context for you know forever really so uh my buddy eddie spear who produced this this, we tracked it at sonic ranch out uh it's like an hour south of el paso oh totally very close to where i'm at right now (laughs) yeah totally so same same vibe but um yeah that was my first time at sonic ranch and definitely the first time i've ever tracked double kick on anything but um yeah it was it was (laughs) it was a crazy it was a crazy experience just being out there and we rented a couple kits from blackbird and that kit ended up being i believe it was a radio king that matt chamberlain owned oh, so wow. which is a very interesting choice for a metal album but we put uh remo black dots on it wide open and then i was playing a lot of like corrupts as mm. crashes but like this like the 16 inch ones so they were like really kind of bright but not they weren't blowing out the room or anything and then all that was tracked to tape so there was no we would learn the songs like the artist would come in with a riff and we would arrange it all out and then we would do three takes to no click all live and then we would pick the best take and then that was it so it was like <laughs> definitely one of the most challenging recording experiences for me because it nothing straightforward about any of those parts i kind of had to improvise them and then do them like in the moment you know <laughs> yeah well it's cool because literally i would not think that's the same drummer on those two records and i mean oh, that in totally. a complimentary way yeah i appreciate that yeah this is this is like fun to kind of go through some of these recordings and kind of see because like it's sometimes you know you there's a certain element of when you're doing your own work it's hard to kind of have a objective view of what you do so it is kind of funny going through all this stuff and seeing how different it all is (laughs) sure yeah yeah Uh, all right well the next one is going to be slowly in parentheses donnie by josh gilligan and the the donaldson broncos yeah and that's that's one of my projects that's just that's me and my roommates with our friend Josh. So, yeah, that's a Hell good yeah. one, too. Here we go. Caught me at the wrong time No relying on me now If you can help it Even at a good time Even on a better day Let's just show it So, the, the kick sound on this one is I think it was like a single-headed 20-inch kick drum with a, uh, a a 36 inch marching kick as a woofer, mm. so that's that like puffiness that you're hearing in the kick is yep. the the sympathetic ringing from that. But um, yeah, this was engineered at my old house in Nashville. Uh, so me and my, my friends, the Donaldson Broncos, uh, we just would remix songs for people. So we'd have people send us acapellas and then we would. So this is this is a originally recorded song by Josh that sounds completely different. But we just got his vocal stem and played a, a different arrangement oh, awesome. to this. So it was fun. was fun for me just because I recorded everything in my studio and then uh, it got sent off to mix by this guy named Micah Talks who's awesome mix engineer in Nashville so it's cool hearing this recording kind of come out of really what was like a very grungy like quick recording setup you know like not really any headphone cues I was just kind of on in-ears and it was all in one room no no isolation like i've always really gotten a black like a kick out of trying to get the best sounding recordings out of like very simple like less mics and stuff so yeah no that's half the fun of watching your videos too is like what's your what's your miking technique today you know totally yeah and it changes so much i feel like i mean that's 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 kind of what keeps it interesting for me and maybe kind of why like as i like started pushing more towards self-engineering stuff for remotes it just a drum set is such a fun thing to record because there's so many 
there, there, there's multiple instruments, obviously. It's like snare, kick, tom, cymbals, and they all interact with each other, and there's no isolation, so there's phase issues, which can be cool, and then also, like, sometimes it can ruin the sound. Sometimes you want to get a really punchy sound with one mic. Sometimes mm. I just upgraded my setup, and now I'm, like, I'm like tracking 16 channels of drums all at once, which is a completely different challenge. But yeah. I've just... Yeah, it, <laughs> that's been fun. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's, let's go to the, the fourth one, and then we'll go on to uh, your choices but um, cool, cool. yeah like wine by the St. John's A pair of go-to hi-hats because you have like I mean it seems like you have a lot of like this is vintage like a thing going on that is in most of your videos yeah um those uh Zildjian I don't know but they're like the CIE Constantinople's these aren't my hi-hats this was mm. uh at my friend uh, Matt Odemark's studio um he he was in Jars of Clay that Christian rock band oh in yeah the 90s. totally so we tracked this at his spot and yeah those are just basically 14 inch Constantinople's which is what I I mainly use but just very light touch yeah. on this one, which I feel like that's that's maybe if I have something that I like doing more often than not, it's brighter symbols, but playing them really lightly. Because you know, obviously, especially in the past ten years, I feel like starting with maybe like the twenty-four inch K K uh, light ride, you know, alternative rock. Like everybody was using these big dark symbols and hitting them really hard because yeah. you know the. It, the darker the symbol, the less you're going to blow out your overheads and your overall drum mix. Yeah. So I've always just gotten a kick out of trying to figure out how to use bright symbols, but playing them so lightly to where they still they have that nice cut and kind of what you want out of symbols without having to worry about the overall drum mix. So I feel like these days when I'm recording, I'm, I'm playing so quiet, which is so counterintuitive to like playing live and putting on a show. I'm like, I'm like here, you know? <laughs> Well, that's kind of going back to the 70s thing. Uh, Jake Reed was talking about how if you play softer, you can really crank the pre's and then you get a mm -hmm. lot more tone that you don't know um, is there. And it's actually, it's, yeah, playing lighter can make drums sound way more powerful. Totally, totally. I mean, yeah, most most recording I do is more in that realm. And that was something that I, I honestly, it was something that I learned kind of more recently than not. And maybe even something that I shunned for a while of like, oh, everybody wants you to play quiet and crank the pre's because that's just whatever's hip. And then I started doing it and I was like, oh, it's just it's like clear heads versus coded heads or like it's like any other choice you would make like yeah. musically. It's just there's just different things. But I have found that that is kind of a cheat code that, you know, or playing with chopsticks or, you know, I've, I've done that a lot where really you, know, you have a, a broken drum. Oh, totally. Like broken drumstick. If you break it in half and then play with the broken like wood ends, they're kind uh -huh. of or like you you've I'm sure you've like broken a stick during a, a show and you didn't notice and the tip fell off and now you have this like super super weak cymbal sound. <laughs> yeah. But if you took that and and you know played it with really nice preamps that aren't noisy and cranked them up and were playing with that regularly, it just it you're opening up a whole new sound. And I I realized that like it's a lot of it feels like found sounds. You know, and like a lot of experimentation, but yeah, like I, I feel like that's like a fun thing. Like if I ever, anybody ever asked me like, what's something I should try like drum recording wise, I would just say like crank your preamps up to where they're almost hurting your ears and then play as lightly as you can with chopsticks and record it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll do that. Do you have any, I mean, do you actively, is your practice for that just playing like that? Or do you have any sort of like... <laughs> special technique on the pad or something that like because that's that's hard to play with control it, but also yes, with soft for you know. sure yeah that definitely that's definitely something that sounds easier than it is but when you pick up a stick a chopstick it's like there's no you're used to having rebound in certain ways that a, a stick behaves on drums or cymbals and then all of a sudden it's completely taken away but um yeah i, I guess the only control thing i would think is like maybe an exercise that I've always liked. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about drum exercises on here or not. <laughs> you know, no, no nerding out, man. <laughs> Start floating drum notation. Um, exactly. <laughs> an old drum teacher of mine from Portland, his name's Steve Nister, he taught me this exercise that kind of like 
helped me a lot with like control. And it's just to set your metronome at like 60 BPM or something painfully slow and just play paradiddles as light as possible over a bossa nova beat. And then mm. start doing so like right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left. But at like literally like with your metronome on your phone app or whatever, like with no in-ears or anything, just as light as you can for like 10 minutes and then start adding accents and kind of go down the grid of each partial of the 16th note. And I feel like that kind of helped me because the paradiddle you have, you know, it's single strokes and double strokes in the most concise form. So, so it kind of helps you with, cause that to me, like playing with dynamics is being able to have play quietly, but be able to still differentiate accents. That's kind of what keeps the feel cool. Otherwise you could just turn down a mix, you know, but it's the, the difference in dynamics, especially when it's quiet, that that's when you can really notice. So I definitely don't focus on the elementary stuff and I, I would put, paradiddle as an elementary thing but totally <laughs> me too or even just single strokes like i was thinking about it the other day like when was the last time i literally just practiced single strokes and what do i use 90 percent of the time single strokes you know yeah i, I think that single strokes are probably the most underrated like tr- rudiment because i guess it is technically a rudiment but yeah i mean it's the first one <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. um yeah i mean that, that's the thing is like I find now when I practice it, it is mostly just the most basic things which maybe is just because at, you know as we start working and stuff a lot of the practice is pre- preparation and recording and you know doing other stuff like that so I always find myself like all right I'm going back to these old exercises that I worked on and trying to keep the control rather than learning a new a new thing but 100%. Hey y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye well, let's continue going down the history of you, um, and let's just go into your, your choices. So the first one is, uh, the album is Bright Size Life. It came out in 1976, and that's uh, Pat Metheny on the, uh, is the artist, and Bob Moses is the drummer. And the song we're going to choose, or that you chose, is, is the titular track, Bright Size Life. So let me just go ahead and play that, and then we can uh, talk all you want about, uh, yeah, what tickled your fancy about this one. The right hand. It like almost goes into a groove, but then it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, what a tease. 
yeah, I guess the reason why I picked this one is because, like, when I started uh, drumming and everything, my middle school band director really was trying to hit me to jazz as opposed to all the metal that I was listening to. He was like, because he, he was a metalhead as well, but he he always was pushing me to like, hey, but also check out this stuff that, you know, is worth learning. So I picked this song specifically because this was something like I had like a, a playlist that I would listen to when I was mowing lawns for my summer jobs. Hell yeah, okay. And I remember I would be listening to this stuff that I had no business listening to something this complex. And I like <laughs> didn't know where the downbeat was or really what was happening. So I feel like this is a good uh, good example of just like, kind of maybe like starting in the deep end as far as like what you're checking out musically. Yeah. Yeah, Bob Moses was an important drummer to me because he, um, I ended up actually taking a lesson from him. He was, uh, he lives, I'm not sure if he still lives in Quincy, Massachusetts, but that's just south of Boston where I was going to college. Mm. And yeah, my uh, one of my drum teachers in Portland was like, hey man, if you ever get a chance, Go get a lesson with Bob Moses. Like it'll probably be eight hours long, and he's gonna teach you everything he possibly can, and it'll be kind of like a spiritual experience. Which mine ended up being about six hours, but he really he really liked talking on. I, I guess the the idea of like where you resolve phrases within a musical context. And while I'm not really you know playing jazz much anymore, even though that's kind of what I came up playing. Uh, I've always really like that's something that stuck with me is the the ability to think of musical phrases not necessarily in terms of like you know four or eight or sixteen bar you know like increments or even verse chorus but more just thinking about like the way certain things flow and that's something that I you know obviously like as a kid mowing lawns listening to that stuff it's like I didn't know where the downbeat was because it was so fluid and that's definitely something that I I try to still retain in my playing is just the ability to like not obscure things on purpose but just if a phrase or a certain melody or lyric you know lends something to like kind of gloss over it it's i like having that like ability or at least being able to think that way that's sick i've yeah i really don't know much about bob moses as a drummer um and his history so i'm i'm excited to go down that rabbit hole for sure yeah, he's he's definitely a really good one. There's I'm not sure if it's still on YouTube, but also something else about Bob Moses. Like when I was in middle school, I would get home from from school and I would spend about an hour every day. Right when I got home, I would just go on YouTube and just look up different jazz drummers and just watch these old archive footages of, you know, Art Blakey or Elvin or whoever. Yeah. But there was this video of uh, Bob Moses playing with Gary Burton, who's a vibraphone player. And he's, it's at some festival in Germany or something, and he's playing on Vista Lights, and he's playing traditional grip, but he's just hitting so hard and doing all this like very Steve Gadd linear hi-hat stuff, but mm-hmm. kind of more in that like flowing way. And I remember just watching that video, and it was a combination of the, the Vista Lights, which I associated with rock and roll. And yeah. I just remember like I would watch that video and have no idea what was going on, and I would just keep watching it and just... Yeah, so I just remember, like, from an early age, like, Bob Moses really stuck out to me. All right, well, number two, and uh, the album is Free For All, came out in 1964. Speaking of, it is Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, and the song, again, is Free For All. And the, the drummer is, of course, Art Blakey, so let's just go ahead and play that. That's also one of my favorite sounding ride cymbals ever. I don't know what it was, but this the, that ride cymbal is like perfectly dark, but not too much. Dude, totally blown out snare roll, that's awesome. Blown out snare roll and then right back down. Like the dynamics yeah. were amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Sounds so rad. Yeah, his 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 buzz rolls were. I still haven't figured out how to do that really. I think I picked this one just just another something in the jazz world, just because I I remember when I heard this record, it was Art Blakey traditionally played hard bop, which is less broken up. The hi hat was always on two and four for the most part, and this is this is more like stepping into modern or at least like modal jazz where you know you can hear he's comping with the hi-hat 
the ride symbol beat isn't just ding, digga ding, digga ding. It's yeah. you know, he's he's interacting with the ride symbol also, which is something that, you know, Jack DeJanet, Tony Williams, like those guys kind of branched off and started doing that. And I think the reason why this one I would like I would pick this this record out of any other, you know, jazz record that I listen to is just because it it's crazy like Art Blakey already had such a defined voice, but he wasn't really scared to try something new or or foreign, I guess, to him. And I've always been drawn to recordings that feel like someone's right on the edge of their seat. Yeah. Like like there's no hesitation. Like all the drum fills are like the drums sound like they're rock drums. They're tuned yeah. low. He's hitting super hard, and there's no. It doesn't feel like there's any sort of like, you know, scholastic nature about about what he's doing. He's just playing from like a very risk-oriented state, which I feel like. Does that make sense? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I feel like maybe like studying jazz for years, I was always a little bit off-put by how many rules there were, and well, you can't rush the song, and you can't tune your drums low, and you have to do certain things. And he's, you know, like he's a legend, and he was he. The, the song speeds up drastically the entire time. He's rushing. He's playing way too loud. And I just remember <laughs> like being like, oh, so you can express yourself. Like this is really, this is not just a scholastic music at all. It's just. I, that's that was the side of it that I knew until I heard this record, and then I realized there was just this whole other side. Is this live? I, I mean, they're 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 recording. It, I'm I'm I think it's just at the Blue Note Studios, like Rudy Van Gel- Gelder's studio. Okay, I only asked because it, like I heard someone go woo a second ago. In they're the middle, like yeah. yelling. They're yelling at each other. They're having fun, you know. Yeah, that that to me was like kind of. Because I don't know, like there's, I feel like there's certain things that, like within childhood, that you do a lot. Like I was, as a kid, I was on swim team, and like I never want to get in a pool again. Like there's certain <laughs> things that you you did a lot, and jazz was one of those things. To where now I'm not, I'm not as, I still love, I li- listen to jazz all the time, but I associate it a little bit with like rules and like the scholastic side of music as opposed to freedom and expression. And that record to me is like, if I want to show somebody a jazz record, like that's one that's just completely like there's no holds barred with that one that's sick that's sick yeah (laughs) yeah art blakey man yep art blakey all right number three this is a you're so beautiful the album and the release here was 1970 and this is uh charles wright and the watts 103rd street rhythm band and the song is what can you bring me and this is actually a friend of the podcast we had james gadsden on the show before one of my favorite episodes Yeah, um, and of course James Gadsden. Well, the, the the funny thing about that one is, it was it was in the current format where I was like, hey man, so obviously you're <laughs> Sir James Gadsden. I want to know what you know built you into you. And so instead of I think he misunderstood it, bless his heart. Uh, but he sent back like songs that he had recorded throughout his career, thinking that he would talk about himself through that. And I was like, that's even better. So he like dissected you know, use me and like all those oh, things. So cool. uh, I gotta about, like, to that, yeah. The, yeah, it's a really, really fun one. And you could tell I'm like super nervous the whole time. Um, <laughs> but he was a huge sweetheart. So it was awesome. But yeah, the goat. So James yeah. Gadsden and we, he did not talk about this song. So I, uh, I'm excited to listen to it. This is, this is all about right hand. So this one, this might be the song that I've listened to the most in my entire life. Really? And it's okay. Because I've, this has been a song that I've practiced drums to for years and years and years. Because it's so fast. I mean, if you do a tap to it, I, I could do it right now, but I don't want to mess with my computer. But it's, it's around like 110 or something, 16th notes on the hi hat, the entire time. He never hits a crash. He never yeah. moves away from this the entire time. Which, you know, 
it's a very technical thing, but it also feels amazing. And he's not just doing that. He's he has all the ghost notes, like mm-hmm. you know his signature feel of like kind of the way he cracks the snare backwards instead of lifting the stick. He kind of you know he kind of yep. does that. Like you can you can almost visualize the way he's playing it. But um, yeah. there's this guy on YouTube. His name's Mark. I looked for the video and I couldn't find it, but I remember it. I was it was just like one of, in the early days of me looking at drummers on YouTube. He did this "What Can You Bring Me" hi hat challenge where. And I don't even think a bunch of people did it, but it was I, that's how I got hip to this song. And I remember watching it and going, "Oh, that, that's easy. Like he's not that song's not that fast." And then I tried to play along with it, and like by the second verse, if even that, like I <laughs> my hand was falling off. And it's not even like uh, like a it's not loud or anything like because some some stuff is like taxing in, in that way. But this is like finesse. Like he's barely hitting the hi hats, and he's just trucking along mm-hmm. with you know. So that was something that like was definitely like a lot of that old funk stuff, like those guys, like, you know, Zigaboo from the Meters and, you know, Clyde and all those guys, like they all had chops. And I, I feel like that's something that stuck, you know, with me from a you know, very early age, checking out all those records is like, although they were playing parts and it wasn't super drum, you know, there wasn't like tons of drum solos, like the way in jazz there, there's, there's more of that. Those guys all needed to have a really high level of technical facility to to play funky at certain tempos, mm-hmm. you know? So that's definitely something that stuck with me um, as far as, like... Because I feel like sometimes, especially in Nashville, there's a, there's a certain level of, um, you know, there's, there's almost this chops versus feel mentality and the idea that if you have chops or you can play, you know, if you study the instrument on a, on a, in a technical way, that you might not be having... As, you might not have as much feel or make choices to make a song feel good or vice versa. The idea of, oh, I'm a pocket guy. I don't do all that other stuff. And I always loved all those old funk guys because they really... They all came from jazz backgrounds probably and they had that facility, but they used it in a way where they used their technique to make the song feel even better and, you know, make the drum parts iconic you know, very effortlessly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Effortlessly. I mean, that's, uh, I tried to crack the code with James when he was on. I was like, so man, like, how do you get <laughs> that 16th note feel? And of course, in mm-hmm. his, he's just like, relax. I was like, <laughs> I'm not even going to press on that. That's probably, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. Goodbye, sir. Yeah. Um, thank you. I'm all it's that to easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there, you know, there's like videos of him playing with Bill Withers and he just has the biggest smile on his face. He's playing probably some of the funkiest drummers, funkiest drums ever, and yeah. he's looks like so calm. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I know I don't look like that when I'm, you know, focusing or whatever. And I, I think that's <laughs> a good. Neither. That's a good takeaway. Is like music should feel feel like steady and, and easy sometimes, depending on what you're playing. But uh, yeah, well, yeah, James it's just yeah, just it was as easy as that. Like that's his mindset, and it's like okay, mm-hmm. I, I want to capture that. I'm overthinking it way too much, which is my mo. But you know, right. Uh, all right, so number four, it's uh, all right. Darren King. He's he's. We're trying to figure out the schedule to get him on the podcast, oh, but sweet. I would love to get. I'm really excited for that. But yeah, yeah so that would be awesome. The band is Mute Math. Album is Mute Math. It's their uh, self-titled uh, album. Came out in 06, and the song is. Oh my God! I I've worn this song out for sure. The song's typical, yeah. and yeah. of course the drummer, like I just said, is Darren King. So let's just play some mute math. That's kind of what got it for me with, with Darren is how he made drum parts very melodic and catchy while still the song, you know, this song is still like, you know, a, a hit. Like it feels like a hit song and it was, you know, at the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, I just remember hearing this for the first time and he's like, the symbols are washy, but it still has this like very controlled, small totally. feel to it. Um, if I'm, yeah. You know. I mean, even just talking about recording drums, um, like... I, I feel like a lot of people, especially in Nashville, just because Mute Math was, you know, based in Nashville, I, I believe, or at least a lot of them lived here. I feel like we've been chasing, a lot of us have been chasing, like, the Mute Math sound for, for. I mean, this is an old record now, which is crazy to think about because it doesn't sound old at all. It's 16 years, my God. Yeah, crazy. I don't know Darren, but I know a lot of people that work with him, and they've all been like, he's he really is that good. And he really sounds that good, which is always such a cool thing to hear, you know, from like a hero. Like I remember listening to this stuff when I was like in middle school and just 
being absolutely blown away, especially at the time being somebody that maybe was jazz biased to where, oh, well, I, you know, rock music isn't technical and those guys probably aren't good just in a very, you know, like fixed mindset. And listening totally. to this stuff, I was like, oh, this guy rips, but he's making musical choices. Yeah. This, this whole album is just textbook, good drum tones and engineering and mixing. And when Darren King kind of became popular in the scene, like everybody started tuning their snare drums lower yep. because of just how these records sounded, you know? As far as like relating it to my personal development, you know, I, I became very fixated on jazz and that was kind of what I was studying. And obviously like that's always a good play, but mm -hmm. I maybe was missing out on a lot of stuff that was more contemporary and backbeat oriented that was, you know, more modern because I just didn't really, I made the connection between jazz and then the funk stuff because it was kind of in the same era and it, it kind of, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, like back and forth between those two styles at that time, but sure. listening to a more modern record, it, I, I wasn't really doing it at the time because in my head I was like, well, they're they're not playing that many notes and there's no cool fills or whatever. And then when I heard this, it kind of, I feel like this changed my thinking a little bit of realizing that you can, you know, play drums in a way that, you know, is gratifying as a drummer and you feel like you're creating parts that are s simultaneously serving a song while also inspiring somebody to want to pick up drumsticks and that that to me was really powerful because it kind of did kind of did both for me it also just well, rocks I, it's just a great great <laughs> record <laughs> it's also just fucking good so mm -hmm. yeah um yeah i mean obviously like i said at the beginning you're i consider you the epitome of like a modern contemporary drummer that's making cool sounds that like are, are exciting so i don't think your route saying you know you missed out on some stuff at the beginning it got you here so i think that's that's rad man but thanks um yeah all right so number five and i mean yeah again i i agree this whole record sounds great but number five rocket juice and the moon and mm -hmm. it came out in 2012 the most modern record of your choices yep. <laughs> and uh, right. the artist is rocket juice and the moon song choice is benko and the drummer's tony allen the late tony allen so let's just uh, check it out so yeah, that's Flea. Flea's playing ba Flea, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is yeah. playing bass, and then Damon Albarn from Blur and the Gorillas is the other guy. So this 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 band is a trio. So Damon's playing all the synths, and then Tony Allen's playing drums. That's wow. kind of like a rock supergroup. It's pretty weird. I've never heard of this band. Yeah, it's crazy. Bright symbols being played really quietly. Yeah, super bright now that you pointed out. Yeah. But he, you know, when he plays hi hat, he's on top of the symbol a lot of the times, and he's very playing. It's kind of like James Gadsden. He's playing really light and relaxed, and that's why it kind of has that feel. This song is kind of sneaky because there's a bar of three at the end of the phrase, so it rolls over. So this one always messed me up because Afrobeat, you know, was was uh, kind of like a, a response to like a lot of the James Brown stuff, but and I think it originated in, in Lagos and in. in uh, uh, Tony Tony Allen was Fellas drummer, so Fellas kind of like the most popular Afrobeat artist. So they would get these James Brown records, and they would hear the backbeat, the snare. They would hear the high pitch snare as the one. So a lot of Afrobeat grooves actually start with the snare on the downbeat, and then the kick where the where the, the where the snare would be. So that, I remember that always tickled my ear about Tony is kind of how backwards it felt to me, but still felt really good. Yeah, that's interesting. 
But this track is cool because because there is a split bar, there's a bar of three at the end of it. He kind of goes back and forth of both feels. So it's almost like a weird study of Afrobeat drumming in, in one track because it does flip at the end, you know? That's really cool, yeah. Yeah, for the longest time, I would listen to this this record in my, in my car. I think I was in high school at the time. And I just couldn't figure out where the downbeat was because I knew that sometimes he would play the snare on the downbeat and sometimes it would be the kick. And... So I, but since the phrase kept flipping over, I got so confused. So I like listened to this track so much, like trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. And it just kind of ends weird. They just. <laughs> <laughs> Are we done, boys? Yeah. That's yeah, it's funny. it's an interesting record, and also like, I, I feel like near the, the near the end of his life, um, Tony got got to play on a lot of really cool records. Like a lot of people got hip to him, and he did get to play on a lot of modern stuff, which I feel like is. A really lucky thing to be able to hear somebody that was part of such a pivotal style like I guess mm-hmm. in the 70s and then s- still be doing it but now we get to hear him like in a really nice studio with really nice microphones and you get to hear kind of like that like someone's voice in different you know iterations is like really really special but yeah Tony Allen I don't know why I just got on an, you know it was like in high school and I got on this Tony Allen kick and was just trying to learn all of his grooves and stuff but yeah, definitely something about his touch on the instrument also that was like really important to me. Yeah, I could definitely hear his that touch in your playing for sure. Cool. So thanks. Um, yeah, and I remember I, saw, I was looking it up. Um, Stella Mozgawa used uh, his his album Black Voices from '99. The song Asiko um, was okay. one of her choices, and also a great record from Tony Allen. Um, uh, well, I do want to uh, give a few shout outs to your honorable mentions. Um, and this is a drummer I would love to have on this, on, on the show, but Steve from American football. Oh yeah. And the song is, uh, is, is never meant. I was lucky enough yep. to see them maybe two or three years ago. They were on like a, re- a reunion tour or something, but I got to see them live. And whenever he was like, it was featuring him, the audience was just going crazy. Great sounding kit too. Like totally. Open. I love that on that backbeat. It almost sounds like he opens up the hi-hat with it. It's kind of that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Roger the Taylor kind of the, vibe. The, it comes after it. I love, yep. yeah, I always love that part. Yeah, I feel like American football for people that like kind of knew who they were because they weren't a huge band and they kind of developed a cult following. Like, it was such a good crossover of like kind of the Midwest emo stuff that everybody was listening to. And I was always like, I like it, but I don't really get it. And then I heard this and I was like, oh, it's in an odd time. The drummer's really good. And I'm a sad kid and I relate to it. <laughs> so to me, it was like the, the perfect, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be listening to this band for a really long time. And then I realized they weren't actually a band anymore. And then I was like, yep. "Oh, cool! I'm I'm cool for knowing about this record." <laughs> but they're they're back together now. I think so. That's that's cool. Them in Neutral Milk Hotel. It's like I'm uh, cool for knowing this band. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, Steve, if you're listening, hit Steve, me back, come. man. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Steve, come. <laughs> um, all right. So the next one is uh, Page of the Lion, uh, David yep. Bazan, and uh, yeah, let's just play it. the song's second best from the album Control. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is a bright symbol being hit really hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the opposite of everything we've talked about. Yep, this is the opposite for sure. This is... <laughs> And the, the 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 engineering and stuff. I I guess I picked this just because um, obviously I I love Pedro the Lion. I feel like a lot of people from the Northwest kind of grew up with David yep. Bazan and Pedro the Lion. But I was always so stoked that he you know he played drums on this, and I think he made this record at a studio for the most part by himself. So he was engineering everything, and so to me that was like kind of like a good example of a self-engineered drummer like pretty early on. Yeah, but. 
Yeah, just the the feel like the, no, it's such a slow tempo, but it never feels like anything's rushing. You know, like yeah, drum tones are great. And I love David, uh, his solo stuff and Pedro, a lot of double drumming stuff, and it's just a little bit of variation on both sides. Totally. Are you familiar with Sean Lane? Uh, yes, not super familiar, but I, I know of him because I know he played with Pedro later on. I looked him up at some point, and I, he made like a bicycle, like a percussion yep. thing out of a bicycle. So cool. Yeah, I also want to get Sean on, but yeah, Sean... Uh, shout out to Sean. He lives in Seattle, which is where I'm from, uh, Seattle area. And I've, I have a Rogers holiday kit that I bought from him when he was working at trading musician, but great drummer. And oh, he's no like way. the perfect drummer to play with, with David. Um, yeah, so good. And well, awesome, man. I mean, that's, that's your big fat seven ish. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so if, if, if people do, I mean, go follow you, um, Axel Co is it Axel Co drums or is it just Axel Co on Instagram? Axel Co drums. That's, that's my personal Insta. Yep. If people do want to reach out to you to have you remote record on their tracks, what's the best way to get a hold of you and all that jazz? Just um, you can just send me a direct message on Instagram. That's mm -hmm. usually the best way. I have a website, axelco.com, but I don't think anybody really goes on there. So Instagram's usually the best way. <laughs> That's the way we're all connected. <laughs> I know. I have a website too, and I don't think I. I mean, it's just it's there, I guess, for Google the just algorithm. In case. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. The, the Google al algorithm. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, Instagram's a good way. Tell me my snare drum sounds bad in the comments. <laughs> Do you get a lot of comments of people saying that? No, 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 not at all. Okay. It, <laughs> I was like, a lot of idiots I, then, my God. No, I feel, like, I feel like the drum community, like, genuinely, like, I was, I mean, I was kind of nervous to do this just because I feel like sometimes talking about something that, like, everybody, like, I'm sure people listen to this that, like, know way more than me and I've been doing this way longer but I feel like the drum community in general is like very supportive and we all like are excited to learn about stuff so I was just happy to be a part of this and kind of like try to dissect and kind of go back in time to try to think like oh yeah what what are the things that if I had to like condense because obviously we all listen to so many different things but yeah it's, it's fun to try to condense your your influences and stuff so this is this was really fun yeah, man. Well, I'll tell you, I've talked to so many drummers. You had a lot of unique points. And uh, I mean, I feel the same way every time I do a podcast. I'm basically exposing how much I don't know by doing by hosting these shows because I know like maybe 10% of what drummers bring on here. So I mean, that's, um, that's a good way to learn it, though. I mean, it totally. is. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I will talk to you later, dude. This was cool, this dude. was fun. Dude, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Peace, dude. All right. Peace. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.